Good morning. This is built as a day of recollection or reflection. I would also like to think of it as a day of reconnection. Reconnection with the fundamental values that are part of our heritage as Dominicans. We call them the four pillars, but they are actually a a dynamic mix, as it were, of various of those four elements. They're not compartments. The second thing that I think is important is that grace builds on nature. This is right out of St. Thomas. So every one of you here will benefit in a unique way or not from our time together, but it will depend on who you are. God takes us where we are. And the third thing is the difference. Uh, The Greeks have two words for time. One of them is the time on our watches, the chronos. The other is kairos. That means where am I now in my life? So I'm uh, almost 80 years of age. I've been a Dominican friar for since 1964. Uh, I've been doing all these different ministries, the stuff that that uh, Megan uh, put out there before you. And what does that all add up to at this point in my life, who was appointed last summer, been a big surprise to be promoter of the Dominican laity for the Southern Dominican province. I have a steep learning curve, and I have in this room close to 50 professors. So with that in mind, I intend to learn as much as I hope you might be able to learn from what I have to share with you out of my own experience as a Dominican friar. So without too much further ado, I want to call your attention. First of all, we will speak to the pillar of prayer And I ask you to recall, I left my Bible in that lunchroom back there, but the story is the one from the gospel according to Luke where two men went up to the temple to pray. One of them was a tax collector. The other was a Pharisee. And we are told that the Pharisee, quote, takes up his position before God and says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like the rest of people adulterous, philandering, whatever, and not like this tax collector. And then we're told that the tax collector stood in the back and did not even raise his eyes and says, oh God, have mercy to me, a sinner. Now that line has come down to us as the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says it is the tax collector who went home justified. So we need to think about that when we're talking about prayer. I have a painting on the wall of my room back in Lubbock based on a true story. I was the pastor of the Catholic Student Center at the University of Arizona 
from 1977 to 80. And one day after a Sunday mass, I was on pastor patrol, you know, and there was this one student standing down in the area there, a cup of coffee in his hand, back to the wall, just kind of scoping things out, you know. So I went over to meet him, got to know him then in the days ahead. He had grown up in eastern Montana, out where the sky is very, very big, just like in Lubbock. And uh, when he got mad at God, he would go out into the field next door. They lived on a farm and pick up a rock and throw it at the sky in the hopes of hitting God. <laughs> now, I always said that that kid was enraged at God, but he was also engaged with God. Now, that's an important thing to bear in mind is that Ultimately, as we are told about St. Dominic, supposedly talked only to God or about God, well, that's direct engagement. It is what I would call unmediated engagement. This is important because we Catholics are the heirs to an incredible amount of printed prayer and devotions. And everywhere I go, there's a different devotion to this or that saint or a new one to the Blessed Mother, and we're constantly creating new ones. Uh, but these are all printed out on the page, and they're easily accessible to us on the media. But this unmediated engagement, this encounter with God, Pope Benedict in this encyclical that he co-wrote with Pope Francis called Lumen Fidei says that faith is the result of an encounter with a love greater than any other love we could have imagined. So prayer is this encounter with God. And it can come in different angles. I mean, we have to ask ourselves, how am I praying? That's our first question. How am I praying? And if I take a look at the way I pray, what does this say about who I think God is? What words do I use? Or absence of words? What kind of silence do I use? How do I engage God? Uh, one of my close student friends at Texas Tech was selected to give one of the talks at this high-octane retreat they call Raider uh, Awakening. It's all over college campuses everywhere, awakening retreats. And she had to give the talk on prayer. And she was up there and she was talking about this kind of prayer and that kind of prayer. And she came to the kind that was just straight talk to God. You know, I need help on this exam and all of that. And she had this pause and then she said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And I think it caught some of the Catholics in the audience by surprise that they did not think that they could engage God directly, that it had to be mediated through a printed prayer 
or a devotion or something like that. There's nothing wrong with those things. But they should be the fruit of that that connection, because in many cases it is. Devotions, for example, to Sister Faustina or any, any number of people, they write them down. That's their experience, which we are privileged to share in, but it's their experience. So what is our experience? If we as Dominicans are the preachers we claim to be, what experience are we operating out of? And that's going to be true of all four of these questions. But how am I praying? What words do I use? We often think, well, we start with a prayer, and that's each one of us. And we add prayers with an S at the end, multiply devotions. And we say, you add those together and you get prayer. Well, a lady came to me. I was novice master at the time. She apparently had heard me at mass or something. She had a unique problem. She had a wad of holy cards about that thick with rubber bands around it. And she had added up all the indulgences on the back of those cards. And she figured she had God cornered. No purgatory for me, thank you. (laughs) What was her problem besides that? She didn't have time to do them all, and she was worried about losing those benefits. I said, why don't you focus on one or two? It doesn't work like you are trying to make it work. Well, you would think I asked her to cut off one of her fingers. But this is the problem that we can get into if we associate all of our prayer with particular forms. And this is important to remember. We do those forms mainly because if we are going to pray as a collective, i.e. morning prayer, We can't all be reading from different holy cards. We pray together. That is an established form of collective prayer. The rosary is another one, although we, again, like morning prayer, we can do that privately or we can do. But morning prayer, the the liturgy, the hours, to me, doesn't make much sense when it's just done by yourself. It may be a requirement but it really loses a lot of its pizzazz if you're doing it just by yourself. However, you know, there's benefit because through the Psalms, you can, the Psalms are a direct engagement. They, they speak to God. They were somebody's prayer when that was composed. Out of the depths, I cry to you, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. This was somebody's feeling about God that is shared with us now down through the centuries. So how am I praying? And just sit down and think about it. What? Think about an average day. How do you pray in an average day? What do you say when you say it? What, 
What posture are you in? Uh, it's something to bear in mind because St. Thomas Aquinas has some very interesting words to say to us about prayer that I ran across in his lectures on the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. He says, we must say that there are two kinds of benefit resulting from prayer. One is the merit which accrues to us. The other is the spiritual consolation and devotion, which is conceived because of prayer. And as far as the benefit of spiritual devotion goes, anyone who is not paying attention to his prayer, who does not understand his prayer, does lose this benefit. But as far as merit is concerned, such a person should not be said to lose that benefit because in that case, a great many prayers would be without merit, since it's hardly possible to say a single Our Father without our minds wandering off to other things. How about that? So we can say, well, if I stop just to think about God or talk to God directly, pretty soon my mind wanders to the roast in the oven. Or to the or to the the bill I just saw from uh, Visa, or or the problem character at work or whatever. So Saint Thomas tells us, you know, that's going to happen. the The idea is to keep the intention going and, you know, refocus, even if you have to do it a hundred times. But it's that direct engagement, so that if we talk about God or to God, we know who we're talking to and who we are talking about. Now, we receive this through our education. We might ask ourselves, where did I first learn to pray? What were the first, quote, prayers that I learned? For many of us, it's now I lay me down to sleep. Or the Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be, my first great teacher, Sister Eugenia Clare, the Div Sisters of Divine Providence of San Antonio, made sure we learned those. And there are certain ones, others that I can get certain members of this room probably to recite with me. Angel of God, my guardian dear, amidst me here ever this day, be at my side to light, to guard, to rule and guide. Amen. You see what an influence that has. How far back in your memory can you go with that? Sister Eugenia Clare had us move over in our desk so the guardian angel could sit down. <laughs> All of this, see, brings us face to face with the human dimension of prayer. It can be quite funny. It can be quite sad. You just lost a loved one. And you're floundering. That person was your anchor, your partner, your friend. So all of this feeds into this direct engagement. That where do I go from here? Because all that I've learned, as St. Thomas once said, seems like straw compared to what I'm going through right now. So the first question today how am I praying is an important one because if we as Dominicans are going to suggest to people or proclaim to people the importance of prayer, we need to have our own act. 
together. And there's no one solution. There are as many solutions as there are heads in this room. But each of us has to do that. It is when we come together collectively that we use a common form. And we identify with one another as brothers and sisters in St. Dominic in that fashion. So it's more than one way, the collective way. We're going to come to that in a second in community. Now, are there any questions so far with regard to the first pillar? How am I praying? So you, you, Thomas uh, mentioned that you know to keep the intention in mind. Yeah. What would you say is the intention? Well, it, it, it depends on you. Okay. <laughs> what do you intend to pray? <laughs> and uh, it, you, it may well be that you're doing a devotional thing. Maybe you're doing a novena or something. Okay, fine. But if it's direct engagement, then you just have to keep talking. If you ever, have, uh, did, did, you know, your children and grandchildren, if you start to say, now you better do it, and you can see their eye. <laughs> you know, well... Sometimes that happens if we get too preachy as Dominicans and we tell people, start telling people what they must do and not do. Let's just offer them avenues of intention, things that can inspire intention. But nothing beats being right there in front of God. I, I don't have a question. I, I have an observation about Sure, myself. observe. Um, I'm, I'm beginning to discover that my relationship with God is a beggar. I'm just always asking for stuff. Well, you're a Dominican and, mendicant, too. And, well, <laughs> but I, yeah. I, I want to have a different relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know I need everything he provides, mm -hmm. so begging is sort of almost on what I don't yeah. do enough is think about his majesty, think about his greatness, mm -hmm. um, praise him for, for what he is. That's where I fall short. Um, well, grab hold of that old hymn, How Great Thou Art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, just let it run through your head. Yeah. Music can do this for us. Mm. Music can be the medium of direct engagement. I mean, all those angels strumming their harps. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, music is part of the human spirit. That's what psalms are. You know, pluck the strings skillfully, one of them says. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, whatever medium works. It's not necessarily words. You know, the... Uh, it could be just the mu the medium of music, the medium of nature. Mm -hmm. uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament proclaims His handiwork. Mm -hmm. You know, or oh Lord, you have probed me and you know me, which I remind my doctor of. <laughs> <laughs> and we guys know which doctor that is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Any further questions? <laughs> <laughs> I think 
Remember, incarnation is all around us. <laughs> How am I learning? I would call your attention to the uh, letter to Timothy where St. Paul says, uh, remember your teachers and those from whom you learned and how from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are useful for correction, instruction, rebuking, you know, and that's the important thing is how am I learning? So here we, again, as we do with asking how am I praying, is that it's helpful to do a history of learning in your life, just as you can do a history of prayer in your life so that you know how you've gotten to the place where you are now. That's the same with prayer. You don't pray now as you did when you were five, six years old, or maybe you do. But you need, it's important to see what development there is. Well, the same is true with how am I learning, because one thing that we know from our Dominican tradition is that Dominic intended that this be an intelligent religious order, that we be well prepared. And from that reason, from very early times, he was inviting professors into the communities to be lectors. And now amongst the friars, it is constitutionally required that in a house there be a lector and that the brothers meet regularly for continuing ed. And um, this, is the, this is a bedrock of that. And in my community in Lubbock, Texas, I am the lector. And I choose an article every month, and we schedule a lector's meeting. And it has, you know, we don't do community, we don't try not to do any community business there, we do strictly a discussion of the article, um, and I try to find things that are current pastoral challenge to us. The most recent one we did was a discussion of an article that appeared in America Magazine, uh, two theologians discussing the question of gender issues, because that uh, that's always going to be going on on a college campus, especially amongst the kids. So need to be aware of that and what's your own attitude because learning can bring you face to face with what you have learned and whether or not you learned it well and if it is what you should have learned. Because we learn all kinds of things as we're growing up and they're not always religious. And sometimes our political views can get involved in that, and they begin to shape our faith. And that's very dangerous. It should be the other way around. Our faith should be shaping whatever political beliefs we have. It's hard. That process seems to be a big problem in our country, at least, and elsewhere as well. Christians killing Christians, Muslims killing Muslims, Christians killing Muslims, Jews. I mean, none of the values of those faiths uh, endorse that. It's politics and power. 
So faith is not winning the war at the moment. We have to be aware of that. How do we learn about God? And what is it that we know about our faith? And this is a very big challenge. All of us as Dominicans should have read all the documents of the Second Vatican Council, just as a bedrock bit of education, because that's where the church still is 50 years later after that event. It took a couple of hundred years for Trent to get around the world. So 50 years, that's kind of small in the history of the church, but we need to know what those have to say. And why, for example, now we see things that many of us in this room certainly did not grow up with. Who would have thought in 1955 of lay Eucharistic ministers? Who in 1955 would have thought of permanent deacons? The only time I saw a deacon was during Holy Week when one of the priests assigned dressed up as deacon at a solemn high mass. All of that changed a great deal. I'm one of the last people ever ordained a subdeacon. <laughs> those things don't exist anymore. So we, we, uh, the document that established all of that followed the Second Vatican Council Ministeria Quedam. And that set up the whole routine whereby people are commissioned Many of you can be commissioned as lectors. You can be commissioned as acolytes. And that's part of the part now of the ministries within the church. So what, do we have, what have we learned about what is, how the church sees itself? Lumen gentium. How the church's worship developed from... Uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium, the document on the liturgy. How to read the Bible, heavens to Murgatroyd. In the 1950s, Catholics were not encouraged to read the Bible. They were given a pat on the head. You leave that up to the Pope and the bishops and maybe Father. And now after uh, Dei Verbum, we're all encouraged. In one of the early programs, the Little Rock Christian, the Little Rock Bible Study came into being. They were one of the pioneers in this, and they're still very good at it. But there's all kinds of Bible study aids. Suddenly, we are introduced to the Word of God. So what do I know about the Word of God? When I went to college as a freshman, my first roommate, was a very devout Southern Baptist, and he knew his Bible. I knew certain phrases from the Bible from my high school apologetics course that I could throw at those mean old Protestants. <laughs> now, half my family is not Catholic. I'm not about to do that. My mother was a Presbyterian until I was 13. So I learned at an early age, you just don't <laughs> disrespect the faith of other people. But in areas where Catholics were very dominant, they could be quite arrogant about it. And that's something we cannot afford. What do I know about my faith to where I feel quite secure in my 
identity as Catholic that I can share this without beating people over the head with it? How am I learning? So what do I know about the scripture, which is, first of all, the, uh, as the, the, the Latin term is the norma normans, meaning the norm which norms everything else, including sacred tradition, because tradition flowed from that. Tradition flowed from that. So what do I know of the scriptures? Then what do I know about the way the church goes about doing things, this thing called canon law? Uh, you're not expected to be canon law experts, but we should have at least an idea of what is generally done and is generally the rule in the Catholic Church. Because some of us do sometimes operate out of the pre-1983 revision of the canon law, which is based on the council. And if we do that, then we're misleading people, and we don't want to do that. We want to give people the truth and not something that we dreamed up or that reflects our personal prejudices. So what have I learned? What do I know of the faith? If I... Sometimes I, when I was a pastor, I, in the back of the church, I would run across, somebody has put a mimeograph devotion in the uh, pamphlet stand. And it has all kinds of things. And I think, what? And it says at the bottom, never known to fail. <laughs> well, I've got a circular file for those. <laughs> That's bad theology. We should be... One of the things that we Dominicans are expected to be sound in is the theology of the church. Now, say, well, we've got the catechism. This is true, but the catechism is meant as a reference work. And if you're having trouble with insomnia, I suggest you start <laughs> reading the catechism. It'll put you to sleep. What you can get is a compendium, which is a, uh, there's one called the compendium that the American bishops put out. They also put out the, um, the adult catechism for the United States of America. Those are much more accessible, and you can recommend them to any person who is curious about the Catholic faith that they can, because it, it, it builds on examples of, of personal examples of some some of the saints and others. But the idea is to make this accessible to people. And it's not some giant secret that we have that nobody else has. But we have to learn about it. We have to study. And we can't just say, well, I, this, is how, this is how I grew up and this is what I know. Well, it may be the way you grew up, but it doesn't have to be all that you know. We really do have to be willing to learn and to learn from people who are not necessarily agreeing with us Catholics. The, the students that I admire most from our Catholic Student Center at Texas Tech 
are the ones who staff a table outside the, the students, the university students called the sub student union building. And it's in an area called the free speech corridor. And those kids are out there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of every week from 11 to two. And the, the banner in front of the table says, ask a Catholic. Now, they're not the only religious group out there. There is a street preacher with a microphone who steadily attacks the Catholic Church and any other faith other than his fundamentalist belief. And he's loud. And those kids sit there and endure that character every, almost every time they're out there. They really have my admiration, and I have told them so. But they are out there and they are sharing their faith with anybody who walks up to that table. As the letter of St. Peter says, always be willing to give a reason for the hope that is within you, but do it gently. There you have it. You see the, the advice is there from the word of God. But if we don't read the scriptures, we don't get that advice. So we really need to know our Bible. We need to know our fundamental Catholic stuff. And the Baltimore Catechism is not the place to go anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That is not the way the faith is preached by the church at large. It's certainly not based on the Second Vatican Council. It is based on the efforts of the bishops in 1884 at the Council of Baltimore. And that manner served us well until the, the, the Pope John XXIII decided that it's time that we started taking a good long look at ourselves and what we're doing going forward. So, again, how am I learning? How am I praying? How am I learning? Because the way we learn is going to impact the way we pray the way we pray is going to impact the way we learn. And they're going to impact the next two questions, which we will get to later on today. Stay tuned. Amen. Are there questions? No? Well, take some time and think about it. And then we have uh, what is next on the schedule? I have it here somewhere. I want to be, I don't want anybody getting on my case about it. 11.15, exposition, uh, conference goes to 11.15. You still have 15 minutes to talk about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the board up there, you have the four circles. Right. What are those letters? Prayer, study, community, ministry. Those four pillars. And they are, they are the things that are, you might say, the, the, the manner of expression, the dynamic of Dominican life. Every religious order has its own traditions and its own fundamental principles upon that, that they work on. And for us, these have developed, they're enshrined in the fundamental constitutions of the friars. They're in the rule, sister. Yes, that's, that's a five minute. 
Five minutes. Okay. I've been a timekeeper at debate, high school debates. Two, three. Yeah. Yes. Relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right. But yet they're one. Yeah. But yet they're three. Saint, Saint Augustine says it's not a lie but a mystery. It is a mystery. <laughs> and each day I'm finding it's more of a mystery. Yeah. I'm thinking the more that I'm, I'm learning, right. the more I am seeking to find, it becomes more of a mystery. Well, that's kind of humbling, isn't it? Because it you, you can't it figure is. it out. Yeah, and then, well, what you're saying to me, why don't you share with the rest of the world? (laughs) That's the point. We're preachers. We're not mystics. We're preachers. (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, that's, yeah, thank you for that. That's what? Is there anything theologically wrong? No. It's just that, now this is an exaggerated example. You can drive from Nashville to New York City in a Model T. Perfectly good automobile for its time. But that's not the way you do it now. So if you're going to preach to the modern world, you've got to be where the church is at this time, not where it was in 1962 when the council began. That's the point. It's a practical thing. It's just a practical thing. Just to play the devil's advocate, don't you think there are a lot of, I think there's a little bit of a resurgence with some tradition within the church? There is, but I, I think the, 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 the point needs to be made that what is the fundamental basis of this? Why do, why do people want and need this? And that has not been very well defined because otherwise you wind up like kids going up in the attic and putting on grandma's clothes and pretending to live in the good old days. The good old days aren't here. You can wear that clothing out on the street and they would say, what... Why are you dressed that way? You're you're really preaching to a a minuscule percentage of the people of God. And our mission is to the whole church. There there does probably need to be a better distinction made in our day between uh, traditional theology and modern theology. But the the distinction is not in the truth that's being taught. God is a trinity. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That truth is what is being taught today and what has been taught for 2,000 years. The issue is the method by which it's being taught. And pre-Vatican II, the method was more scholastic, or from our point of view, Thomistic. And following Vatican II, it would follow um, more modern philosophies and theologies called Nouveau Theologians. So it's an issue of the, the method, not the substance of the truth. Yeah. And so we get, we, get, we get concerned when we hear um, 
that, that type of language, like, is there a suggestion that we taught that Christ was the Son of God before and we're not teaching that now? That's, that's the wrong interpretation of no. the distinction. No, no. It's, it's the, whole, the whole way in which we do it. We know that the way we dress and the words we use have their impact. And we have to be aware, not because we like those words or we like those clothes, what are we saying to the people we're serving? 